today, we adore you, Lord. Thank you for your presence here with us. We proclaim you as King over all, King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you that your presence is here today to encourage, to restore, to comfort, to build up, to direct and strengthen us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. I want to welcome you to church today, whether you're here in person or watching online. Uh, we are so honored that you are a part of this community. Uh, if you notice here in our sanctuary, we've got these funny little columns that kind of block everybody's view, depending on where you're standing in the room. And when we were moving into this facility, we looked at, well, how could we remove these columns? Like, how could we take them out? Because they're clunky and they, you know, are in every room uh, in, in the building. And in looking at it, it was going to be so cost prohibitive to do that. Uh, and so we're just like, well, I guess we're going to adjust to it. And then I met with a gentleman who was a pastor who had spent a significant amount of time uh, in the Middle East. And he was talking to me about the name of our church, Antioch. And he said, hey, have you ever been to the original Antioch that you read about in the book of Acts? It's in Syria, I believe. And uh, he, he said, if you go there at times of persecution, and he showed me a picture, at times of persecution, they would go underground into caves to worship. And those caves had these interesting little pillars where the rock formation held the cave up. And so the places that they'd worship would have one pillar after another scattered around where they would gather to worship. When I heard that, I was just struck with, wow, um, just the connection there of pillars and Antioch and worship, people gathering. And I was just thinking about that this morning and thinking about those Christians long ago that would have gathered in secrecy uh, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trouble and hard times, not all things going well, but Jesus was worthy. And so they would gather to worship him. And I was thinking about us in our generation, and though it's so different, I just want to honor each one of you for saying, hey, Jesus is worthy enough for me to come or to watch, to wear the mask, to sing through the, like all, all of that stuff, because Jesus is worthy, and the church is a joy to be a part of. And so whether for you that's engaging online or you here in the room, I just want to encourage you today that Jesus is worthy and I am so honored that you are here and that we get to worship him together. We are going to continue in our teaching series uh, that we've begun called Prince of Peace. Everybody say it with me, Prince of Peace. And we are looking at Jesus. We're looking at a particular passage of Jesus from Isaiah chapter nine that describes Jesus to us. And we saw in the first week that Jesus is the leader that we've been looking for, the one with the shoulders on which to carry the government of the nations. And today we're going to continue in that series. And there's a very specific reason why we're doing this at this time. Uh, I planned this before the results of the election came out. I just knew we'd spent so much time as a people, as a nation, over the last year, four years, some would even argue a couple hundred years, wrestling and wrangling about who was going to lead us, who was the right person to lead us. And I knew that regardless of the outcome of the election, we all needed to be reminded that our hope is not in whoever is in the White House, but our ultimate hope is in Jesus, the King overall. And so we're looking at him. And when I was in college, I worked at a, a camp 
for kids from very uh, difficult backgrounds. We would work with kids from the worst neighborhoods in America. They would come, uh, you know, with riddled with stories of gang violence, uh, with poverty, with broken families, drug use, even at, even at a young age. And we would spend time with them. We'd develop a relationship with them. We'd play all sorts of sports. And we would share our lives and share Jesus with them. And it was incredibly powerful work, but it was incredibly demanding. Uh, it was something that would just make me so tired in my bones because of how much it required of me. And I remember one day just feeling so empty, so poured out, so I don't have anything left. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place. Maybe a lot of you are here at the end of 2020. We're just like, I'm about to tap out. Like, this is just so much. And I was, I was there. I was in that moment of need and desperation. And I happened to uh, take a nap. And during that nap, I had a spiritual dream. And in the dream, the cabin that we were staying in, uh, on the left side were the campers that we were working with. And I would spend time playing games with them. And then as I spent time playing games with them, I would feel the energy begin to drain out of my body. And when that would happen, I would look over to the right side of the cabin. And in my dream, there was Jesus in our cabin. And in looking at him, I remember looking into his eyes. And it would be hard for me to describe what I saw there other than to say, you could just see life in his eyes. And when I looked into his eyes in the dream, I would see the life that was there. And it was as I looked at him, I began to feel the energy and the life being restored to my body, to my spirit, to my soul. And I would go back to working with the kids and I would get worn out again. I'd get drained again. I'd get emptied again. And then I'd come back and there Jesus would be, eyes full of life. And as I looked into his eyes, I was filled again with life and that cycle would continue over and over and over again. 2020 has been a year where I, I think we probably could all say we have spent ourselves navigating the stress and the challenge of this year. And my hope for all of us in this series as we go through these scriptures is that Sunday mornings and then the things that I'm gonna give you a few things to implement over the coming weeks as we do those things that they would help us all Look into the face of Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Look into his eyes full of life and find the hope and the restoration, the renewal that we all need and that God desires for us to have. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to look at Jesus. The passage of scripture that we are uh, studying is Isaiah chapter 9. Verse six and seven, so if you wanna go ahead and pull out your Bible, pull out your phones, get your notes ready, we're gonna dig into God's word today. And my hope is that as we do this, as we look to him, that there would be encouragement, restoration, renewal, and a fresh passion birthed in your heart this morning. And that that passion would carry us through the end of the year. Isaiah chapter nine, starting in verse six, for to us a child is born, speaking of Jesus, to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. That's what we covered in week one. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Today, we are going to focus on the phrase, Jesus, our wonderful counselor. We're going to focus on his ability, his wisdom, and his counsel, that he is our wonderful counselor. Now, uh, we all know that leaders need wise counsel. They face very difficult decisions, and this is prophesying about Jesus who would come, who would be the leader that we all long for, that would lead us into peace. And obviously, he was going to have to make difficult decisions. Challenges were going to come his way. For every leader, you face all sorts of challenges, whether you're a leader in the home, in your school, in your workplace, politically, in our nation, you face challenges and leaders need counselors. When you read through scripture, you read about these kings like Pharaoh who had these counselors like Joseph who would give them uh, strategy and insight that would help them lead effectively. Or Nebuchadnezzar who had Daniel who would do the same. I read about Abraham Lincoln this week and how when he became president, the nation was so divided. There were so many challenges that he was facing. They did something very radical. He didn't just select people that kind of had the same political views as he did. He selected people that he believed were the smartest people to have on the team. And sometimes those people were his rivals, but he pulled them together. and uh, They called his group a team of rivals, his counselor, a team of rivals. That at one level, they were uh, against each other, but they all realized the need of the moment. He realized the gifts that they had, and he pulled them together because he knew he needed wise counselors. In the, uh, Will Durant, who's a historian, uh, has said in the 3,421 years of recorded history that he had studied, that there are only 268 years without war. So I'll say that again. In the 3,421 years that he studied as a historian, he could only find 268 years where there was no war. So again, leaders facing all sorts of challenges. Life is hard. Leadership is hard. At a governmental level, they're you know, worrying over war. If you're leading a business, this has been a very hard year. If you're leading a family, this has been a very hard year. If you're a leader in your school, wherever you find yourself in your neighborhood, this has been so challenging. There have been so many wars at many levels, and leaders need counselors. What's interesting here, though, is that it doesn't say that Jesus will have wonderful counselors, but it says that Jesus will be the wonderful counselor meaning Jesus needs no wise counsel. He is the embodiment of a wonderful counselor. He is the embodiment of wisdom. In Colossians, it says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What that means is when we look at Jesus, what we see is unlimited wisdom, all the treasure of wisdom is found in him. He is the wonderful counselor. And what I wanna do today is I wanna help all of us behold Jesus, but specifically behold him as our wonderful counselor. Now you guys know there's a difference between seeing something and beholding something, right? We see stuff all the time, but behold is one of those words, we don't use it very often, but when it's used, it's like, Pay attention right here. See this. Look at this. Gaze upon this. 
And what I want to help us do today is I want to help us to behold Jesus, our wonderful counselor. So on the count of three, I want everyone to say, behold Jesus. One, two, three. Well, on the count of three, guys, come on. One, two, three. That's what we're going to do as our wonderful counselor. And there are four areas that I want to help all of us. I want to lead all of us into beholding him today. Four places where we see the wisdom of his counsel on display. The first area, we behold Jesus, our wonderful counselor, in his creation. Scripture teaches us that the heavens declare the glory of God. That God created the universe in such a way that it shows off his, his attributes, his glory, his majesty. And I want to take you into a few of the um, beauties, majesty, glory, counsel of God in creation today. I was studying this week and I was reading about how scientists uh, describe the universe, whether they're believers or not, describe our universe, creation, as being fine-tuned to facilitate life, that our world and our universe is designed in such a way to bring about and sustain life. Some facts related to this I just thought were amazing. Gravity, that force that pulls you know, bodies of mass together, gravity, if it was just a slight bit stronger, they said if it was a fraction of a percent a billionth of a gram, a billionth of a gram stronger than our whole universe would have been pulled together and collapsed on itself. A billionth of a gram. If it was a billionth of a gram weaker, everything would have just scattered and nothing would stick together. The wisdom of Jesus, the one through whom all things were created, and without him not one thing was made, to create our universe in such a way that the gravitational pull facilitates life. A second area, and some of you are scientists and you'll love this, and some of you, uh, like me, you know, science was a class you tried to get out of, you can still appreciate this. This is amazing. Uh, atoms are what make up everything, and atoms are made of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Now, this is so interesting. When an atom binds together, those protons, neutrons, and electrons all bind together, and those are like the little Legos that build everything else out. Well, if the ratio of their weights was slightly different one way or another, atoms would not bond together. The protons, neutrons, and electrons would not bond together. We would not have the building blocks of life. Just a slight variance in their weight. Creation is fine-tuned to bring about life. Last one that I want to share with you is carbon. It's the element on which the, all life forms are based. And carbon has a unique property. It's created in stars, in reactions that go on in the stars in the sky. And it has a specific mix of, of electrons, I guess, or molecules. I don't even know the, right, the proper word. Uh, to say it, but in the way it's constructed, if it was slightly less adherent, we wouldn't have carbon on which all life runs. I share all those things to say. When we look to creation, when we study creation, we begin to see the wisdom of God on display. If you, uh, for me, one time when this really hit home was when our first child was born. And you realize, like, how in the world did I produce 
or help produce another human. This is amazing. When we look at creation, we see the wisdom of Jesus' counsel. We behold his counsel, the wisdom of his counsel in creation. So practical step that I want to encourage you to do. We're in that time in Texas where there are some beautiful days going on. I know coronavirus, you're, you know, you're supposed to kind of keep your distance from people and that sort of thing, but we can go outside. And I want to encourage you to go out into nature over the coming weeks. Take a walk. Go to a park. Go camping. Go outside at night and look up. Look around. And don't just look at the trees, but behold the wisdom of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus in the nature around us. It's how we behold the wisdom of his counsel. The second way that we behold Jesus, our wonderful counselor, the first one is in creation and his creation. The second one is in his teaching. In his teaching. When we read scripture, we read the teaching of Jesus. And as we read his teaching, we behold the wisdom of his counsel. In Matthew chapter 13, it said of the teaching of Jesus, it said, when he was coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogues. This is Matthew 13, verse 54. And as he taught, the people were amazed. They were amazed. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? As they heard his teaching, they were struck with his wisdom. Friends. We all have an invitation every day. We may have missed that day in the synagogue, but we have an invitation every day to behold his wisdom and his teaching as we go to the scriptures. The Center for Bible Engagement did a, a study on 400,000 people, 400,000 Americans, and their practices related to scripture and the impact that it had on their lives. And what they found is that there was a noticeable impact from people who four times a week or more, four times, that was the magic number, four times a week or more, took time to read scripture. There was an incredible impact on their lives. They reported feeling, uh, feelings of loneliness dropped 30% compared to those who were not in scripture four times a week. Four times a week, your feelings of loneliness dropped 30%. Uh, anger issues dropped 32% for those that were in scripture four times a week. Alcoholism dropped 57% for those who were in scripture four times a week. Relational issues, especially in marriage, dropped 40% for those who were in scripture four times a week. The feelings of being spiritually stagnant dropped 60% for those who were in scripture four times a week. What's the point here? When we go to scripture, when we read the teachings of Jesus, we see the wisdom of his counsel and his counsel leads us to life. Yes, we are going to face problems, but it's in the wisdom of his teaching that we find the, the leadership that we need for life and restoration, health and wholeness. So to behold Jesus, our wonderful counselor in the wisdom of his teachings. I want to encourage you this week and as we finish out the year to be reading scripture, 
to make it your goal. I say make it a goal every day because probably something's going to happen a couple of those days that throws you off so that you could get to that four or more times a week because of the impact that it will make on your life as you behold him, as I behold him. This week, I, I saw this in action. Um, out of Nancy's teaching last week, was she did an awesome job teaching us about God's desire for us to practice thankfulness. Give her a hand if you heard it. If you didn't hear it, go back and, and listen. It was awesome. And my family, my wife, I, our kids, we've been working on implementing the principles of that teaching over the course of this year. We've been working on implementing thankfulness, not just as a, you know, when we feel like it, just try and say it, but as a habit, cultivating gratitude in our lives. And we've been working on an expression of thankfulness, which is encouragement, of encouraging people, of calling out the gold in others, and not just doing that in a haphazard way, but again, cultivating a habit of looking for these things, practicing these things. And so one of the things that I've been doing is in the mornings, I'll spend time in scripture and then I'll spend time in prayer. And as a part of that prayer, I'll write out things that I'm thankful for. I'm trying to build a list. I'm not to where Nancy was uh, with her, you know, over a thousand, but I'm at, I think I'm at 558. So I'm working and I'm gonna get there. And I'll take time and I'll pray and be like, God, who's one person I can encourage today? And I'll just take some time to pray, and most of the time, somebody will come to mind, and I'll send them a little encouragement text. Well, on Friday, as I was doing that, uh, the person that came to mind was our next-door neighbor. was trying to live out the teachings of Jesus, trying to put this into practice. Our next-door neighbor came to mind. He is a Cuban-American, single dad, retired principal. Uh, he likes cars motorcycles, planes, and Donald Trump, and he shared with us all of his passions on those things, but he's also been a really good neighbor to us. He's been very loving, very kind, very supportive of our family, and I just felt like the Lord put on my heart to text him and tell him, Lewis, I just wanted to encourage you today. You've been such a good neighbor to us for this reason and this reason and this reason, and I've been pretty good about sending these, these texts or these messages, but for whatever reason on Friday, I got distracted. Something happened where I didn't send the message. Our younger son has been getting up very early, so it might have been that he got up early and came in and distracted me. I just didn't, I didn't follow through, right? I didn't follow through. The next day, my wife, I get a text message from her that our neighbor is on. She's sending him a message. We didn't talk about that I felt like I was supposed to encourage Lewis. She, when she was spending time in scripture, in prayer, God had put on her heart to randomly encourage him. And so she sent him the text, and when I read it, it was basically the same thing that I had felt I was supposed to send the day before, but didn't do it. Well, later we get a response from him, which he says, this is the kindest message I've ever received in my whole life. Thank you very much. And I was blown away by that and how God works through us and demonstrates his wisdom, his life, his wonderful counsel even when we don't always get it exactly right. That he's that good when we take the teachings of Jesus, we get an opportunity to behold him as our wonderful counselor. Third area in which we behold Jesus, our wonderful counselor, is in his life. You know, sometimes you have people that are fantastic teachers. They're amazing at communicating things, but their life is in shambles. They don't practice what they preach. But with Jesus, it's the exact opposite. His life measured up to his teaching. Wow. 
It wasn't like, man, he's great on a stage, but behind scenes, whoo, that guy is a mess. No, no, no. He was 100% authentic in both his teaching and his life. And when we don't just look at his teaching, but we also look at the way that he lived, we look at his character, we looked at the way he treated people, we looked at what his priorities were, what were the habits that he had in his life, we begin to see wisdom for living. Jesus said that he came that we might have abundant life. And the way we access that abundant life is by following him. Think about it literally. Following him would mean getting up in the morning and practically following him in the way that he lives. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we get an opportunity to behold him as our wonderful counselor who shows us the way that life was meant to be lived. You may come from a very dysfunctional family, a very broken family. You may have felt, maybe feel like you didn't get the models and the mentors, and so you feel half a step behind. I think many of us could say we're in that boat, but when we look to Jesus, we find the model and the mentor that we need, and we find wisdom for life in the way that he lived life. So practically, I want to tell you about something we're going to be doing as a church to behold Jesus and his life. On Christmas Eve, we normally do a service here in the sanctuary. Uh, Christmas Eve is my personal favorite service of the year. I know pastors are probably supposed to say Easter, but for me, just to be honest, it's Christmas Eve. I don't know why. I just love it. With this year, with some of the deals that have gone on in 2020 uh, and the challenges that we've all faced, we were just looking at Christmas Eve service and thinking about, Lord, what do you want us to do here? What do you, how do you want us to approach it? And we had an idea that uh, we're going to pursue. And we were thinking about at holiday time, it's a time when families come together. And I know we're trying to do that on a reduced basis uh, here this year, but I've heard many of you saying, hey, uh, I'm going to be quarantining here in December so that we can go visit family around Christmas time. I think that's uh, a lot of us will be doing that and trying to be as safe as we can. Uh, but I realized that in that presents an opportunity for the people of God. Because I imagine we all have friends and family members who feel far from God, who we have a heart that they would encounter, that they would get to behold the majesty of Jesus, the love of Jesus that he has for them, his grace, his life. And Christmas Eve is normally a great time to invite those family members to come to a service because Christmas is built into our American culture. But this year, it's probably not a whole lot of new people who would like to come to a room, wear a mask with people that they don't know on Christmas Eve, right? We're just probably uh, gonna be a little different this year. So he said, what if we take some of this online stuff that we learned and we create a Christmas Eve service that can come to your living room? So that when you're with your family and your loved ones that you would love for them to know Jesus, you're going to have an opportunity to show off his life right there before you. Our worship team's going to be doing some worship songs. I'll share a short, short message. And Christmas Eve this year will be wherever you are with whoever you are with. But it's an opportunity for us to behold the life of Jesus, which Christmas is the beginning, the incarnation of Jesus, where we behold him. So Christmas Eve, we're doing a special service, online only, but the idea is that we could all take the life of Jesus into our homes. 
into our families, into the people that we love and let him show up and show off in those environments. Last thing in the way that we can behold Jesus, our wonderful counselor, is in his leadership, is in his leadership. In the choices and decisions that he makes as a leader, we behold the wisdom of his counsel. And sometimes it's hard to see in the middle of something what the outcome of a leadership decision is. A lot of times it's like, well, we'll see how this works. It may, work, may look great in the moment and fall apart in the end, or it may look bad in the moment, but actually be the right thing to do. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John gives us insight into the end of created history. And we see the outcome of the leadership of Jesus. And in Revelation 19, chapter one, uh, 19, verse one and two, it says, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now get this, for true and just are his judgments. Meaning, at the end of time, when the full story has been written, the church sees the judgments of Jesus, the leadership decisions of Jesus, and their responses, just and true, are your judgments. That Jesus is wise in all of his leadership decisions. That's the end testimony. We may not see it fully here in the moment, but that's what's to come. And as we look at his leadership and the way that he is leading and going to lead the nations, we behold him as our wonderful counselor. And so practically, I want to help you do this on December, uh, I believe it's the 29th, the end of the year, we as a church have a habit of doing what we call a Selah Sunday. Selah means take a break. Everybody say, take a break. break. Reflect on what's been, like think about what's been. And so we're going to have an experience leading uh, us to do that. And so what we do is that we, on that Sunday, we give all of our staff, all of our volunteers, all of our serve teams, we just say, hey, we want to take a break. We want to remember what God's done. And we want to look ahead to the year ahead. And so we're going to be creating and giving to you a resource that will help you in your personal life. If you're married, help your marriage. If you're a family, help your family to look back at this year and then to look ahead to Jesus' leadership in the coming year. A resource to help us all as we end the year both look back to Selah and to look forward under the leadership of Jesus so that we can behold the wisdom of his counsel, him as our wonderful counselor in the way that he leads. So we behold him as our wonderful counselor in his creation, in his teaching, in his life, and in his leadership. So I want to invite you to stand with that in your mind that we want to behold him and behold his wisdom. And we're going to go into a time of worship. And as I was thinking about you this week and thinking about this message, the the wonderful counselor of Jesus, I know that we all come to uh, the table today with uh, a myriad of different issues where we're needing wisdom. It may be a family issue where you're needing wisdom today. How do I navigate this? It may be a relational issue. It may be a financial issue. It may be something at work. But I bet if we went around the congregation or to those watching online, that every single one of us would have an area where we're like, I just don't know what to do. I need wisdom. 
And I want you to know that Jesus wants to be your wonderful counselor today. And as we go into a time of worship, I want to encourage you to make your needs known to him in prayer. God, I need your help. I need your counsel. I don't know what to do in this situation or in this relationship or with this going on. I want to encourage you to do that. And I want to believe with you that God is going to deposit, that Jesus is going to come and to counsel you here as we worship in his presence. I once had a, a friend who was going through a particularly hard time and she had been seeing a counselor. And one evening she had a dream. I guess today is dream Sunday, but one evening she had a dream where she went to her counselor, but he wasn't there. And when the chair turned around, what was there was a, uh, was a bucket of the blood of Jesus. And what the Lord spoke to her in that moment is that I'm enough for you. I am the counsel that you need for all your problems. And earthly counselors are good, don't get me wrong. But our ultimate need is found in him and he's made a way for us to have the counsel that we need. So as we worship, let's go to him and let's seek him and let's behold him as our wonderful counselor. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, that you are the wonderful counselor, that you need no one to counsel you, but Lord, you and your goodness and your kindness offer your counsel to us. And I pray for every need here in our congregation, in person and online, Lord. God, I'm asking that right now as we worship, Lord, that there would be heavenly encounters that happen all across our congregation. People watching this uh, service 10 months from now online, Lord, that your spirit would come and that you would break through and that you would pour out the wisdom of your counsel here in this moment, Lord. We're in need, but we have hope today because you are our wonderful counselor. Join with us as we worship.